Thank you for taking the time to listen to this audio sermon from Apostolic Worship Center. Our prayer is that you'll be encouraged and blessed by the anointed Word of God. If you'd like more information about Apostolic Worship Center and its ministries, visit our website at www.awcnorman.com. He is no stranger to Pentecost, and he has blessed the apostolic movement from coast to coast and around the world with his anointed ministry. I believe the first time that I ever heard Brother Huntley preach was in 1983. It was a general conference in Louisville discerning the Lord's body. From that moment, he has spoken to our lives on numerous occasions. He has blessed camp meetings and churches. A man of vision, a man that just believes God can do anything. You're going to be touched today if you'll open your heart to the word of the Lord from Raleigh, North Carolina, the District Superintendent of North Carolina, the Bishop of Temple of Pentecost. Would you put your hands together and welcome Reverend Wayne Huntley. You may be seated for just a moment. What a joy it is to be in the house of the Lord. I've had the Holy Ghost since I was 13 years old. And just a brief little history in the event some of you are from the outside of Pentecost or maybe you're not discerning your privileged opportunity that's afforded you today. If you would see me today as I was back when I first started the church, you would put me in the bus ministry department because my little mother brought me and my brother to church. My dad was an alcoholic and in prison most of my life. My mother brought us to church, but I found in church a door of opportunity that could make my life better, that I didn't have to live like all the other heathens around me. I didn't have to be bound by alcohol, narcotics, sexual impurity. I found that God can make your life beautiful, give you peace, joy, make your dreams a reality. If you'll just let Him. If you'll just let Him. So I just wanted to clear the air a little bit. I have been privileged to go a lot of places, do a lot of things, and enjoy the blessing of the Lord. But I still remember where I came from, how I got here. And my message to you this morning and my preliminary remarks are that He'll do the same for you. If you'll just give him a chance, he will do the same for you. Well, I'm thrilled to be in Oklahoma this morning. I've been here on a number of occasions for camp meetings and youth camps. And uh, Brother Borders, I figured when you mentioned my preaching in 1983, you were probably in the nursery then. Your mom and dad brought you. Yeah, it was a long time ago. But I'm so thankful that the gospel is still real, and I still love the Lord. Matter of fact, my explanation is this. You can sit with a grouch and a gripe and an ugly mug if you want to, but I'm going to tell you what happened to me. I got saved. But let me tell you the best part of it. I never got over it. I never got over it. I'm still thrilled. I'm still ignited. I'm still excited. I'm still blessed just to be in the church. If you know you're blessed to have the Holy Ghost this morning, Give the Lord a great big hand clap right now. Thank Him for that. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Oklahoma is renowned for Pentecost, and many great preachers of the gospel reside in this state. And you've done a wonderful, admirable work for the Lord throughout your unified effort of the United Pentecostal Church. On occasion, I've had opportunity to tell several of my friends where I would be this morning. 
told him that I was going to be in Oklahoma and that I was going to be with Brother Borders here in Norman, Oklahoma. And by the way, last night I had a little opportunity of district business to talk to one of our pastors, and uh, that was Brother David Hutton. And he sends his regard to the pastor and first lady of the church and had only glowing remarks about your ministry, your work for the Lord, and his respect for you. I, I want to say, you know, they, they, they say that you have to go over 200 miles from home to become an expert. If you'll just get 200 miles away from home, suddenly you become a profound expert. Well, sometimes it's possible to have those kind of things right under our nose and not realize what we have and what God has placed here, what God has given to us. And so I want to take just a moment and acknowledge that everybody I told that I was coming here this weekend and that I were going to be with you, every one of them, without rehearsal, without any motivation, just out of their hearts, every one of them said the same thing. Oh, Brother Borders is a great preacher. He is a great preacher. Every one of them said he is a great preacher. And so, you know, behind every great preacher, <laughs> my years of experience have taught me this. Behind every great preacher, there's an exhausted wife. And a wonderful wife. And you need to give God praise for the powerful team that you have here in your leadership. The boarders came to Raleigh, North Carolina many years ago and preached a revival. It, it wasn't Temple of Pentecost then. It was First United Pentecostal Church. And I knew then that the anointing of God was on him. And I don't really have a family legacy or a heritage in the apostolic church. Really, if you research, I think maybe that I am the first one in my family that was baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost. I don't have time to tell that whole story today, but really, I'm almost a first-generation Pentecostal, and uh, I thank God for that. I, I'm not reluctant about that. I, I'm just glad He let me in, but I don't have an iconic family relationship or tradition. I can't say that my dad was an apostolic preacher or my my uncle was a superintendent or my cousin was the presbyter. Uh, but I, I do, because of that, I have a deep, profound, exaggerated appreciation for pastors' sons who have become pastors and who raised their boys to be ministers. I have a great appreciation. Thank you for preserving the iconic apostolic tradition and being true to it. And everybody said amen. Now you have a beautiful facility here, lovely properties, lovely building. Growth is in the future. Expansion is in the future. What a wonderful testimony you are to this community. I, I, I date myself sometimes. I struggle with all these new phrases, new words. You know, it's not Sunday school anymore. anymore it's children's ministry. It's not uh, cheese for Christ anymore. It's move the mission Churches don't have facilities anymore. They're now campuses. I'm trying to learn this new vocabulary. By the time I think I got it down, they change it. Uh, youth in our church are no more the youth group. They're students, you know, the student ministry. And folks that hadn't found their place or got disconnected in life are now a hyphen. I think most of them feel like they're halfens. <laughs> That's a new word for Webster. 
H-A-L-F-N-S, Halfens. They feel like they're just half, you know. Uh, so they, there's a place. But So this, this campus is remarkable. And the facilities and the potential and the possibilities are absolutely unlimited. I also want to give a great big appreciation to your pastor for these next few Sundays leading up to Easter. Wow, what a, that was a great, innovative, creative thought to have these ministers come in three Sundays in advance. And after I'm here, you're going to hear some of the greatest preaching in Pentecost starting next week. You're going to hear some of the greatest preachers in the world are going to be here. And then on Resurrection Sunday, I assume your pastor will be in the pulpit. When I, I haven't been a pastor for seven years. Uh, for seven years, I've been the bishop of the Temple of Pentecost in Raleigh, North Carolina. My son-in-law is actually the senior pastor, and I'm the bishop. And for those of you that don't know what bishop means, bishop is a high scriptural, spiritual, ecclesiastical term that means old man. That's the church just trying to be kind to you, you know. When they start calling you bishop, just get ready. When they start calling you bishop, they're telling you, have you looked in the mirror lately? When you heard me preach in 1983, I was a lot slimmer and my hair was almost black in 1983. But I'm not reluctant about this gray hair. I thank God for it. I worked hard for it. And I deserve every one of them that's in my head. Because every one of them represents somebody that needed me. <laughs> somebody that I prayed for. Somebody that I love. Somebody that I minister to. And I thank God for the privilege of being here today. So I'm thrilled that I get to be first. To initiate. To to be the catalyst to launch you toward what can be the greatest Easter that has ever been in the history of this church. So my message this morning and my message tonight will link together preparatory messages, getting your mindset, getting your heart set, getting your attitude adjusted so that you can be ready for God to do what He wants to do in this place and he really wants to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose hearts are perfect toward him. It's probably your tradition and usually is in Pentecost, so I'll grant you the opportunity to stand for the reading of the text. I, every time I see your dear pastor's wife, I'm locked. I'm sorry. I haven't been able to move past it. Maybe I shouldn't even mention it, but I, I am locked with the fact that what a miracle God worked for your pastor's wife. I don't know. That, that uh, period of time when I became aware of that, involved in praying, believing God with you from a distance, that, uh, that moved me. It, 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 it touched me. It, it put me in a place of desperation before God. And today we see what the good Lord can do. Would you clap your hands and thank God for His healing virtue in your pastor's wife? God, I thank you for it. Luke chapter 3 verse 15 is where we will preach this morning. Luke chapter 3 verse 15. A little simple scripture that I'm going to enlarge upon, exaggerate, and uh, try to bless you with today. Luke chapter 3 verse number 15. Since we're reading only one verse for our text, why don't we all just read it aloud together. Ready? And as the people were in expectation... And all men mused in their hearts of John whether he were the Christ or not. That little verse of Scripture is tucked in there 
And if you're not careful just reading your Bible through, you'll just read that. Yeah, that's nice. But I'm going to preach about that this morning. It has become one of the greatest verses of challenge to me in the Bible. And I feel like it could challenge all of us this morning. I'll explain the title better in just a moment. But my title is this. Tiptoe time for the apostolic church. I'll need to explain that, don't I? Tiptoe time for the apostolic church. I hope I can explain it because the way you're looking at me, it needs to. You may be seated. (laughs) Settled in the Gospels, tucked in there, is something that could be unobservable, neglected, overlooked, and minimized. This little verse, it says, and the people were in expectation. And all men mused in their hearts of John, whether he were the Christ or not. That little verse is just kind of slipped in there. And if you don't understand chronological, biblical order, if you don't understand the timing of this verse, The power of this passage is in its preface. It's in its positioning. It's where it is located in the Bible. That just leaps out of the pages in a way that has so ignited my spirit. It's so easy for us just to not realize how powerful, pertinent, and applicable one verse of Scripture can be if we will but take a moment and delve into it just a little bit different. And deeper. I am again this year reading my Bible through. Uh, My wife has read read the Bible through probably 40 times. And I have not read it through that many times. The reason is, as preachers, we get to reading it. I get hung up on word verse, and three months later, I'm still there. And the time is going by. But I am way ahead in my Bible reading this year. I am so excited to read my Bible through. This morning, I was reading in your lovely, comfortable, uh, evangelist quarters uh, who needs Holiday Inn Express or the Hilton or, or my, my Lord it's phenomenal I thank you for your accommodations you could clap your hands and celebrate the fact that you take good care of preachers I've stayed in a bunch of them I've been in a lot of places it's second to none you can be, you can be thankful for that I want to say proud but you can be thankful for that that anybody stays here is not going to be any my anyways belittled or dishonored. So I've been reading my Bible through this morning. When you read the Bible through, you just read it quickly, and sometimes you can overlook some things. So let me get on to this message today. This verse of Scripture is uniquely spiritually placed in the Bible at the conclusion of the Old Testament and at the initiation of the New It is not far removed from the final word of the Old Testament prophecy. The ending of the Old Testament and the opening of the New Testament. So this is a very important scripture. It it speaks of a, a particular period of time that there never has been before or since. It is a unique period of time between the end of the Old Testament and the opening of the New Testament. Most everybody that's a theologian, study, a student of the Bible, will tell you that's called the dark ages, four, or the silent years. 
400 years of spiritual silence. I don't know, you may not have known that, but if you teach Bible studies, you'll know that. From Malachi to the opening of the book of Matthew, there is 400 years of silence. 400 years when heaven was quiet. 400 years when there was nothing heard from God. There was no word from the Lord. It was a period of 400 years of spiritual silence. Most students of the Bible believe that the reason is God moved His emphasis from the spiritual to the physical because it was during the development of the Roman Empire. It was a time when roads were being built and men's wisdom was being extend, extended and travel was being made easier. It went from the uh, time of spiritual impartation to a time of physical construction. The world was getting ready for the greatest event that would ever happen. And that would be the coming of the Messiah. It was prepared spiritually and now it needed to be prepared physically. So the stage was set for Israel's Messiah to be born. But there were 400 years of silence. I want to exaggerate that this morning. I'll quickly hit the point that you're waiting to hear. What about tiptoe? We'll get to that in a minute. 400 years of silence. I want you to help me preach right now. Your part will be 400 years. Let's have a trial. 400 years. And here's the way I want you to say it. I want you to say it, I'll give you an example, in exaggeration, in exhaustion, and total deplete of thoughtfulness. Like, oh my God, how could that be? Like this. 400 years. Try it one time like that. Oh, you're doing good. No falling giants. No collapsing walls. No parting of water. No manna from heaven. No fire falling on a sacrifice. No spiritual sign. No wonders, no miracles, no hope, no help, no encouragement. And we come to our text. Thank you, brother. Some of y'all wonder if I'm going to preach 400 years, right? 400 years. And then we come to our text. It's shocking. It's startling. It's amazing. After 400 years. Hundred years, the people were in expectation, and all men mused. Anybody a phone? Don't you Google this word real fast? Help me preach here this morning. I just feel comfortable here today, so we'll get going here in a minute. Somebody look. Somebody Google mused and tell me what that means. <laughs> gargle it. That's what one preacher said. Gargle it. Gargle, muse and see what it says. He meant Google, you know. What does it mean? I'm sorry? Absor absor absorbed, absorbed in thought. It was all throughout their mind. It was all they could think about. It totally captivated them. It was their every moment's thought. Could this man John, could he be the Christ? Is it possible 
that John is the Christ. After 400 years of nothing, the Bible said they were in expectation. One translation renders it like this. The people were on tiptoe of expectation. After 400 years of nothing, no encouragement, no signs, no prayers answered, no obvious miracles, and yet they were on tiptoe of expectation. My message to you this morning is how much more should this blood-purchased, spirit-filled, rapture-ready church of the Lord Jesus Christ be living right now on the tiptoes of expectation. Just totally, completely, altogether consumed with the fact that God is going to do something great. God is going to do something mighty. God is going to work miracles. Everybody shout expectation. And why not when the Bible said he daily loadeth us down with benefits? He daily loadeth us down with benefits. When the Bible said if ye be an evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more. Not only this, in the last days saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. Does anybody believe we're living in the last days? The Bible said he would pour out his spirit upon all flesh. You know what that means to me? Every miracle is about to be dumped out of heaven. Every Holy Ghost baptism is about to be dumped out of heaven. Every supernatural intervention, he's pouring it out right now. Because when the rapture takes place, there will be no more need of healing, deliverance, blessings, way-making, miracles. So he's empty in heaven right now. And we're living in the greatest day the church has ever known when God is doing great and mighty works. Clap your hands and shout yes. So the word that I want to bring to this church this morning in your presentation, in your preparation for Easter is this. Expectation. That's the key word for the apostolic church right now. It is expectation. So I come to Norman, Oklahoma this morning to rebuke negativism, to rebuke pessimism, to rebuke cynicism, to rebuke doubt, to rebuke unbelief. Everybody in this church needs to be on your tiptoes expecting God to hear your prayer, expecting miracle signs and wonders. Come on, let's expect this church to be full on Easter Sunday morning. Let's expect the waters of baptism to splash. Let's expect the parking lot to be filled with cars. Let's expect lives to be changed. Clap your hands and give God praise. So it is time for us to preach in expectation. Pray in expectation. Worship in expectation. Live in expectation. I'm not talking about carrying a security blanket, whistling in the dark, or coming out with some magical numbers of the lottery of life that put you in a winning position. You are in a winning position because your spirit feel, your blood wash. You've got the name. You've got the word. You've got the power. I want to tell you right now, if God's going to do it for anybody, he's going to do it for the apostolic church. 
Revelation chapter 3, verse number 8. Notice this. I believe this verse tells us right where we are right now. I know thy works. It was written to the church of Philadelphia, the restored church, the church of brotherly love, the church that represents end time revival. The Lord said, I know thy works. Behold, I've set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. And there is a reason that we are the church of the open door. This church is the church of the open door. There's a reason because he said you have a little strength. Recently I was studying that, reading that, and it came to my mind, Pastor, that what the Lord was really saying, that in the last days, just before the rapture, spiritual weakness will be everywhere. Spiritual depravity will be everywhere. Compromise will be everywhere. But he said, you got a little strength. I've come to Oklahoma to tell you, a little strength means a lot to God when there's not much strength around. Don't ever disqualify yourselves because you feel like you have little strength. He said, I blessed you because you've got a little strength. Clap your hands and receive that word. He said, I've set before thee an open door. Everybody say open door. Now, you know, I'm a person of words. Ministers' words are our tools. That's what we work with. So, you know, I pay a lot of attention to words. And I know sometimes we don't mean what we say. If we did, we wouldn't say it that way. You know? I've been doing church anniversaries when they're going to honor the pastor. And I've seen people come to the pulpit. Of course, they're not speakers and they're not wordsmith. And they don't really, they mean well, but they don't really know what they're saying. I've seen them walk to the pulpit and want to honor their pastor. And this is what they're saying. Oh, we love our pastor. We love our pastor. He's the greatest pastor on earth. We want to honor him during this anniversary celebration. And I believe nothing is too good for him. Now think about that. <laughs> you got it. There's a few of you. <laughs> Our pastor's so great, nothing's too good for him. So it's saying if we give him nothing, he don't that's more than he deserves. <laughs> Ain't that what I said? Nothing is too good for him. That's not what they mean. What they mean is anything that would give him would not be enough. But the English language, they say, oh, we love our pastor. Nothing would be good enough for him. It's just like a lady got up testimony service one night, and she was, or a man, rather, and he, was, he stood up and he said, I want to thank God for my wife. We've been married 25 years. And he said, I love her tonight, just like I did the day I married her. Now, my analytical brain began to dissect that. The church was going, oh, who? Wonderful. John, Mary, what a story of love. I love her tonight just like I did the day I married her. But I thought about that. 25 years. She has cooked your meals. She has washed your clothes. She has mopped. Well, I'll leave that alone. She's served you in some very unpleasing ways during your medical times. Y'all with me? She's listened to you gripe and groan and complain 25 years. And you don't love her a bit more now than you did then. Ladies and gentlemen, that's not a compliment. That, that is a slam. Sometimes we just need to kind of pay attention. Well, you ladies can throw a little extra in the offering after church tonight. 
However, I hear people today say, God has opened a window of opportunity for this church. Now, I'm not judging anybody. I said that myself. We've got a window of opportunity. Brothers and sisters, we are not the church of windows. We are the church of the open door. The Old Testament was a church of windows. Might this thing be if there were windows in heaven? That's what a Lord on whose hand the king leaned said in his unbelief, in his negativism. Ah, oh, there'd have to be windows in heaven for this to happen. And the prophet said, all right. What the prophet said is, they're in a time of famine and drought. The prophet said, tomorrow, food is going to be sold here at Blue Light Kmart bargain basement prices. It's going to be so cheap. Food is going to be so cheap. You're not going to believe how cheap it's going to be. That guy said, ah, might this thing be if there were windows in heaven? That ain't never going to happen. The prophet said, okay, you be that way. So I'll tell you what you're going to do. You're going to see it, but you're not going to be involved in it. Now, I want to tell this church right now, just in passing, you got one of two choices. You can either believe God for a great revival, or you can sit there and watch it happen somewhere else. You can either say Norman's going to be in it or all the rest of Oklahoma's going to have it and we're going to sit over here and watch it. I want to preach to a church today that says if God's going to do it, we want to be in on it. We want to believe it. We want to say it so. Somebody shout, I want to be in on it. I don't want to just hear about it. I don't want to hear about miracles somewhere else. Thank God he's blessing them. But we want our own story. We want our own miracle. I'd like for Norman to make national news that God is pouring out his spirit here in a way like it never has been poured out before. Clap your hands and say, I'm expecting it to happen. So simply, what's the difference in windows and doors? Windows allow you visibility. Doors allow you accessibility. Windows you can only look in, but doors you can go in. This generation is not going to just look at the miracles of God. We're not just going to look at the power of God. We're going to walk into them because He has set before us a door that no man can close. Don't, don't feel penal, penalized or punished because of your standards, your separation. Don't draw into a corner. Let the world beat you down because you live holy, because you don't do what they do, because you don't dress like they dress, because you don't walk like they want. I'm here to tell you, it's getting ready to pay off. Your standards, your separation, your dedication, your commitment, your holiness. God said, I'm going to set before that church a door. And he said this, I'm going to make them come and bow down and they're going to know that I have loved you. The last, this is another message you can preach sometime. The last revelation before the rapture is who is the bride? Who is the bride? Who is the bride? God's fixing to reveal to this world who the bride is because the miracles are going to be here. The Holy Ghost is going to be here. The deliverance is going to be here. The move of God is going to be here. He's going to put his church on parade and he's going to cause the world to know Acts 2.38 is right. One God is right. Holiness is right. Truth is right. Worship is right. Loving God is right. Clap your hands and say, God's given us an open door.
I want to tell you why we should live in expectation quickly. Romans 8, 17. The Bible says, And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God. Join heirs with Christ. You know what that Bible is saying? We have a double claim on everything in heaven. We are the heirs of God because we're the children of God. We're joint heirs because we're the bride of Christ. So everything in heaven, the church has a double claim to it. We have a double claim to every miracle. We have a double claim to every deliverance. I want you to know you got a right to expect God to deliver you. You got a right to expect God to heal you. You got a right to expect God to make a way for you. You got a right to believe that God's going to do for us outstanding, miraculous, marvelous things. Clap your hands and receive it. There's a whole lot that we could preach out of Acts chapter 3. It was the first miracle after the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. It was the first miracle after the day of Pentecost. Peter and John were on their way to the temple to pray. One of the most outstanding things about the book of Acts is, if you will study it, it's called the book of Acts. If it is the book of Acts, then what is the Acts of, of the apostles? What was the, the apostles' most predominant act? If you read the Bible, you're going to find they were either going to a prayer meeting, in a prayer meeting, or coming from a prayer meeting. So the main act of the apostles was praying. God, I'm asking that during this season of revival, a spirit of prayer would sweep through this church where that people would once again make their way to the church, where that prayer would be a priority, where there would be as many people in a prayer meeting as there are in church this morning. And for heaven's sake, don't ever say it's just a prayer meeting. There is nothing more powerful that a one God apostolic Jesus name prayer meeting. My house shall be called a house not of singing, not of music instruments, not even preaching. But God said the most important thing will be the praying. I'm calling this church to prayer. The pastor's calling you to prayer. If we will pray, we will see great things from God. Peter and John were on their way to pray. So you could talk about prayer. You could talk about unity. Because they said to the layman, look on us. They were together in this project. I want everybody to get on board this thing between now and Easter. We need everybody on board. Everybody shout all hands on deck. We need everybody inviting people. We need everybody bringing people. We need everybody. Touch your, call your family. Call your, your kids that are backslidden. Call your cousins, uncles used to come to church here whose kids are not going to church. Say, I know you may not want to go to church. We want you to come. But if you won't come, at least let me bring your kids. I notice this in the Bible. Some of God's greatest miracles started with a child. A baby was born. A baby was born. Don't ever minimize the significance of children. We need to have more children here this Easter than we've ever had in our church. So we could preach prayer, we could preach unity. But notice this in Acts chapter 3, verse 5. And he gave heed unto them, speaking of the lame man. He gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. He was expecting to receive. I just want to try to shock this. this how old is this church from its origination? 
60 years old. 60, everybody say 60 years old. In the world, that means you're getting ready for retirement. If, you're, if it was a physical body. Oh, my God. We don't need a retirement. We need a refirement. Because <laughs> I'm going to tell you, he's coming back after church without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. You know, I got a revelation on that, on that verse when I started getting older. I look in the mirror, and all these spots are coming up on me. It's like my body is mildewing. Oh, God, I'm starting to mildew. As a matter of fact, folks that used to be six, six feet tall, closer they get to death, they go five feet, four feet, three. We got one little pastor's wife in our district. She must be about 90 years old. I'm telling you, she couldn't be over that tall now. And she was a very, you know, a normal person. But that earth just starts pulling Dirt starts pulling down. And well, I see a lot of gray hair and no hair this morning. So I'm going to pause just a minute and preach to the gray hair and no hair. You're going to have to fight your way through the natural tendencies to go into spiritual retirement. Everybody say, I'm going to have to fight for it. I'm going to have to fight for it. I ain't doing it. And by the way, just in case you wonder, some of you are probably thinking I'm 50, I'm 72 years old. Some of you said, oh, I thought you was 80. Never mind. I'm 72 years old. But I have made up my mind. There ain't no young man going to be more excited about Jesus than me. I can't run around the building like I used to run, but I can run around the pulpit now. I'm going to run somewhere. I'm not going to sit there and lay claim on the fact, well, I'm old. Excuse me. Disqualify me. Don't expect anything out of me. I'm preaching to the elders in this church. You need to be example to your young people, to your young married couples. We need to let them know this does not get older and colder. It gets greater and more wonderful and more powerful. Well, I can't go to church, can't come to prayer meeting, but you can go to Walmart. I'm sorry, I'm meddling here now, Pastor. <laughs> One man said when he dies, he wants to be buried in the Walmart parking lot so his wife will come see him three times a week. Brother Tenney used to preach, the rapture's going to sound like this. May I have your attention, Walmart shoppers? <laughs> That's what the trumpet's going to be. <laughs> The Bible said it's going to be a church without spot or blemish. 2005, I had a heart attack. Found out I'd already had one before that. Had no idea. I didn't have time for that. And ever since then, my hands have been brown, you know. That's not suntan. By now, you know I enjoy humor and I enjoy a good laugh. I told my friends when our house burnt years ago, uh, 2016, we lost our home and everything in it. Total fire. Lost everything to a horrible fire. The only thing that really mattered was we got out. You know, my wife and I were spared. But it was a blessing. God's restored us to a better place, more than we've ever had before in our lives. The beautiful part about it is insurance paid it all off. I used to sing Blessed Assurance. Now I sing Blessed Insurance. <laughs> blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. You can have that, but you better have some Blessed Insurance too. By the way, if you need a policy, see me. I'm just saying. <laughs> I sound like an insurance salesman. But you, you got to go home and take a fresh look at your insurance. Because I had paid a bit of attention to mine, but it was, it was right. 
And if it hadn't been right, we'd have lost everything. But we were blessed because we had a proper insurance. But I'm saying all I say this. See them brown marks on my hand? It's signs of age. The Lord said the church that I'm going to rapture will not have signs of age. It won't have spots. It won't have blemishes. You may have had the Holy Ghost 50 years, but you're going to be young in God. You may be 70, 80, but you got to stay young in God. Don't let your salvation get old. Don't let your worship get old. Don't let your dedication get old. Don't let your love for church get old. I pause right now. If you're over 70, stand up right now. Lift your hands. I'm going to pray for you. God, I pray for every person in this building that's over 70 years old. Send a revival among our seniors. God, reignite us. God, do a brand new work in our spirits. Help us to get our shout back. Help us to get our praise back. Help us to get our faith back. Help us to get our joy back. In the Old Testament, I'm, I'm meddling right now, but I feel like I'm maybe trying to help somebody. In the Old Testament, the prophet told that young king, he said, smite the ground. He didn't tell him how many times, he, but the prophet only, the, the young king smote the ground three times. The prophet said, oh, man, you should have smitten it six or seven times. You only, you only smote the ground three times. Because of that, you're only going to have partial victory. I would have given you complete victory, but you only, in other words, what he said, you, he said what you did was half what you should have done. Oh, God. Sometimes I feel like we do about half what we're supposed to do. But the Bible said in the next verse that the man of God was angry. And then the next verse is one that really stirs my soul. It says the man of God died. From those two passages put together, I made up my mind, Brother Borders, I am not going to die a mad old man. Now, don't get quiet because I'm preaching good. I'm qualified to say what I'm saying because I'm not a, a, in the youth department anymore. But if you're not careful, every day you get more grippy, you get more grumpy, you get more bitter. Your kids don't want to be around you because you ain't never got nothing good to say. Did I have liberty here this morning? <laughs> Years ago, my wife called her father, who had never been a father to her. He'd never been a daddy, never bought her anything, never bought her a dress, never was in her home, never showed her any interest. And here we are married years, years later, and all of a sudden he reappears. And so she calls him one day. And when she calls him, I hear the phone. I had, come on, Holy Ghost, help me right now. You know what I was praying over there. I heard him say to her, it's about time you were calling. And my wife started crying. I wanted that phone. <laughs> but I would have ruined my relationship with him the rest of my life because I wasn't going to say what he wanted to hear. What I want to say is, you've neglected all these years, and now all of a sudden you want to demand that she calls you? Who do you think you are? You're the parent. You're supposed to be the leader here. You're supposed to be the one showing the way. What he should have said is, oh, baby, 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 is it ever wonderful to hear your voice? I love you, and I have waited so long for this wonderful moment to come when you would call me. You have made my day. I think I may be ministering here right now. But nevertheless, if you're not careful, the older you get, the grouchier you get, the meaner you get, and your grandkids don't even want to be around you because you're always, get out from that, stop that, don't. <laughs> Hush, get outside. You know, when I was a kid growing up, 
My grandma was the sweetest woman in the world, but she was one more grouch. Bless her heart. You know, you can say anything you want to about people alone. You say, bless her heart. You know, you said, dumb as a box of rocks, bless his heart. You can say whatever you want to say as long as you end with bless his heart. So my grandma was a sweet lady, bless her heart, but this is what I remember. We came in to eat at a meal in the summer, and you could not, you would run out to the yard, and you can't come back in the house until the next meal or the bathroom. If you showed up in the house, are you going to the bathroom? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Hurry up. Get out of here. It's like the house was off. I love her, but all I remember is grouching and griping and fussing and don't do this and don't do that. Hey, can I challenge you? Don't make that your legacy. I'll probably give off the call right now, but I, I need to get back up and be expecting some good things. <laughs> don't make that your legacy of always judging everybody, condemning everybody, running everybody down. If you really want your kids to love you, and my, my wife gave me this revelation years ago. It's one of the most powerful revelations I've ever seen in my life. And I want to share it because I feel like it may help some of you. You know, we don't get to see our grandkids as much as we want to see them, although we're in the same town. They're only 10 minutes from our house. Everybody's so busy. And if one of my grandkids were to call me today and say, Hey, grandbuddy, I just want to talk to you, I'd pass out. I'd love for that to happen. Because I lay down my life for them. I give them my last dollar. Whatever, you know. But here's what my wife taught me, and I want to share it with you. Love never flows up. Love always flows down. Now, what does that mean? They're never going to love you like you love them. Don't, don't expect it. <laughs> if you don't expect it, you won't be disappointed because that ain't going to work. They are not going to love you like you love them. So go on loving them and go on understanding. I'm trying to get them to do something that's impossible. It just ain't going to happen. But you be kind to them. You be good to them. Matter of fact, when we got ready to have grandkids, I was still young, I thought. And so I'd, I'd heard this years ago. I have five grandchildren now, one daughter, five grandchildren. And by the way, they're the best on earth, the greatest on earth, you know. So anyway, uh, I thought, what, what am I going to have them call me? Uh, Peepaw, Papaw, Poppy, Grumpy. I know I got a preacher friend whose grandkids call him Grumpy. And the bad part is, that's why he told them to call him. He said, call me Grumpy. I guess it's all right if you know who you are and what you are. So I thought, what am I going to have my grandkids call me? So I had them calling me Grandbuddy. So from the time they're born, they call me grandbuddy. One of them is married now. One of them is engaged to be married. The others are young. But the ones that are married right now, if they were here today and they're in their 20s, they'd say, hey, grandbuddy, because I wanted them to know I am your friend. I'm not just your buddy. I am your grand buddy. And so that's the way we operate. But I'm saying this to you. The older you get, make sure. And there's a lot of senior citizens in this church. The future of this church probably ain't in the youth right now. It's in what you old folks are going to do from now till you die. And there is no discharge, the Bible said, in this, in this battle. You have got to show them how to worship. You have got to show them how to live holy. You've got to show them how to be faithful. You've got to show them how to give God praise. You've got to show them how to make it to the prayer meetings.
I'll conclude on a little up here. Try, try to get this back. I have meandered and, and messed around with stuff that I might should have left alone. Nevertheless, in Mark chapter 10, verse 50, the Bible tells of a story that we all know, the healing of blind Bartimaeus. Do you know why Bartimaeus, David, Goliath, and Zacchaeus, and the prodigal son are in the Bible? You know why they're there? So preachers would have something to say. If it wasn't for those stories, we wouldn't have nothing to preach. But you know, they get, they get new thoughts off them all the time. Jesus was passing by blind Bartimaeus. He passed by two people on this journey. Blind Bartimaeus and a man named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus climbed a tree to get Jesus' attention. Bartimaeus cried out loud and would not be consoled. As a matter of fact, you can write this down. This is revelatory. Bartimaeus got healed for crying out loud. <laughs> for crying out loud. He got healed for crying out loud. But the reason he had to cry out loud and the reason Zacchaeus would climb a tree, it's as though they understood this is Jesus' last time through here. He was on his way to the cross. He would not be coming back. It was their last opportunity. And I hope that somebody in this building today would be so moved that you wouldn't just sit here like this with a growl and a frown and act like, I, I didn't want to come to church anyway and realize disaster may be lurking outside those doors. This may be your last chance to feel the presence of God. You need to climb a tree or you need to climb out and cry out loud. You need to get his attention because he can do something for you here that nothing in the world can do for you. I wish the church would shout, the world doesn't love you. The world doesn't even like you. But Jesus died for you and he wants to help you. Stand up and clap your hands to the Lord right now. Lord somebody needs to reach out for him this morning you may not ever make it back to this church this may be your last service somebody may kill you before you get back the bunch you're running with somebody may slip you drugs and take you out of this world you need to get a hold of him you need to reach out for him but here's my final point the Bible said that Bartimaeus arose. And he cast away his garment. And he ran to Jesus. The reason he did that is because blind men in the Bible had garments that identified them as being blind. It was like a walking cane or a CNI dog. When they saw that garment, they, oh, that man's blind. But when Bartimaeus heard Jesus was coming, he arose, threw his garment, started running to Jesus because he was expecting not to need that garment anymore. He was expecting to be healed. He was expecting God to give him a miracle. So what I want to do in closing, musicians can come. I'd like for you to come to this front today. And as you're coming, come and throw aside everything that hinders you. Push away everything that stops you. Get rid of every negative thought. 
and say, I'm on my way to receive it this morning. I'm expecting it. Somebody's going to lay their hand on my head, and I'm going to be healed. Somebody's going to lay their hand on my head. I'm going to speak in tongues. Somebody's going to pray for me, and I'm going to find joy. I'm going to find peace. I'm going to find happiness. If you'll come expecting God this morning, he'll work a miracle in your life. He'll work a miracle in your life. Lift your hands and tell him, Lord, I need you. Lord, I can't make it without you. Lord, I'm desperate for you. But I'm expecting you to do it, Jesus. I'm expecting you to heal. I'm expecting you to deliver. I'm expecting you to change my life. Bring me out of this misery. Bring me out of this rebellion. Bring me out of this hatred. Bring me out of this hurt. Heal me inside and out, Lord. Heal my mind. Heal my spirit. over, lay your hand on somebody and pray for them and tell them I'm expecting God to meet your need this morning I'm expecting God to give you a miracle this morning I'm expecting God to show you his power I'm expecting God to demonstrate his greatness your hands and expect it right now. God's going to help me. God's going to deliver me. God's going to heal me. God's going to You have been listening to an audio sermon from Apostolic Worship Center located in Norman, Oklahoma. We are located at 3221 North Porter Avenue, Norman, Oklahoma, 73071. Our service times are Sunday at 10 o'clock a.m. and 6 o'clock p.m. And we also have various ministries happening on Wednesday night. For more information, visit our website, www.awcnorman.com. Call us at 405-329-1285 or email us at info at We hope that this recording has been a blessing to you.